0: Hi there, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Smashing the Ceiling with me, Naomi Meller. On this podcast, we love to showcase the lives of women who have achieved amazing things in their careers, those who have got a really cool or unusual job, and some who have just had a really interesting life. Each week, I sit down with one woman to dig a little deeper into the how of it all. How did they get where they are? How did they pick themselves up when things didn't go right? And how did their mentors, mistakes and motivations lead them to achieve the things that they have? So before we start, a little bit of news. Our website is now live. Hurrah! It's only taken me six months to get that done, but it is now up and running. I'll be developing it over the next few months, blogging from there too, and there will be a weekly newsletter starting in due course. So do take a look. It's at smashingtheceiling.com. So nice and simple. This is one of those jobs which if I had done things in the correct order should have really been ready before I ever launched this podcast. So that's yet another thing on the list of little mistakes from which I'm learning on this journey. The other day, I was actually feeling a bit down after a very difficult day at work, and I had a little listen back to Jamie Coleman and her words about making mistakes, and about making failure your friend in order to become better in life. She is really incredibly eloquent on this subject, as well as the many others we discussed. It probably seems a bit self-absorbed to listen to my own podcast, and it's not something I normally do, I promise, as I've heard the conversations so many times during the editing process. But that section of that interview has really stuck with me and I've thought about it a lot since. It's totally normal to make mistakes, and I've made loads during this podcasting experience. And we all fail from time to time. It's how you respond to your failures and how you pick yourself up again afterwards that defines the sort of person you are and who you want to become. This is something I constantly grapple with in my job, but Jamie's sentiments really helped me out that day. If you are listening, Jamie, thank you. So on to this week. Here at Smashing the Ceiling, we love to talk about the careers of women who have taken the road less travelled. And there's so much to discuss on that front with today's guest, Anna Lundberg, a woman who has always forged her own path. Anna started her career at Procter & Gamble, where she spent seven years establishing herself in the brave new world of digital marketing. It's strange to think about it, but back in the mid noughties social media didn't exist and the concept of digital marketing was only just getting started. Working in this field led Anna to places she would never have expected. But during a sabbatical in 2013, she decided that there was more out there with her name on and quit her job without anything else lined up. Brave. She established her own digital marketing agency in 2014 and subsequently took a coaching course. This was meant to take two years, but she completed it in six months. As I said, she forges her own path. She now runs One Step Outside, a personal coaching and training company for ambitious individuals and teams who want to make a difference without sacrificing their health and relationships to do so. As usual, we began at the beginning, and I asked Anna what she thought she wanted to be when she grew up.
1: Oh, I love that question. I always like to go back to the beginning because <laughs> I think I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I I guess like a lot of people, we now talk about these sort of multi-passionate, multi-potential people. Um, the renaissance man and woman I quite like as well Um, but I loved a lot of things um, and uh, I was quite good at everything at school so it was really tricky it wasn't like I'm only good at maths and I can't do languages and humanities or I'm really good at writing but I can't do science I sort of was good across the board so it did make it harder um, to find and I didn't have one burning passion either and so I think I constantly kept my options open as much as possible um, at Uh, 15 I changed to an American school I grew up in England but I changed to an American school where I could do the International Baccalaureate okay because I didn't want to do A levels because then I had to choose sort of three or four subjects so VIB let me do English history German Swedish and physics and maths
0: wow that's quite a good that's a really good selection isn't it
1: yeah and they also get you to do things like community service and philosophy and all this stuff but then I took a year out and actually hilariously I was um, the career guidance advisor um, if you can call her that um advised me to apply to astrophysics and medicine um at school when I was leaving, but luckily, I took a gap year <laughs> um, and then I applied to p p e at Oxford, so philosophy, politics, and economics and, and again, I'm ashamed to say it was because I wanted to you know not focus in on one topic. it gave me sort of a good range. so I think the answer to your question is definitely no. I had no idea. I had things like I love, always love to write, so that's always been a theme. But then people told me, "Oh, you can write in any job. So, um, what you know, you can't become a writer and then make money as a journalist, as a writer, and so on." So, I, w- I let myself be guided by other people too because I didn't have that clarity.
0: Yeah, it's amazing that when you're young that you you don't have the clarity that you that develops with age, and yet actually, that's the time at which you could really do with it most when you're making those sorts of decisions, I always think. Um,
1: yeah, and it's impossible because you haven't had the work experience yet. Funnily enough, I've now gone back to my both of my old schools and talked to students about making the right choices. And it's so difficult because they haven't yet worked. So one of the pieces of advice is always just go out there and try something, follow what's interesting, but just make sure you don't get stuck in something. Because I see so many people coming out of university with dreams of working in humanitarian law or art or whatever, and they um, especially in the UK, I feel like inevitably get sucked into finance, consulting, banking, one of those standard paths, which is such a shame.
0: It's interesting that Anna mentions school work experience here, as I spoke to her around the time that my interview with Beck Fisher was about to come out. If you haven't listened to that one, she tried 40 new jobs over the course of 40 weeks for her 40th birthday. And we discussed in some length in that episode about the value of work experience when you're older and how it might be worth some consideration if you're thinking about a career change. The school system is pretty old fashioned in most countries, including the UK. And both Anna and I agreed that it definitely needs a bit of a shake up.
1: Well, in terms of schoolwork experience, I know I was, I guess, was I 14, 15 after GCSEs, I guess. um, I said I was interested in fashion (laughs) and I ended up working, folding clothes in the changing rooms at Debenham. So that was not the most easy experience. Luckily, well, luckily, I don't know. I also then applied myself via um, my dad somehow I got a law internship actually which was really bizarre because everyone else there was obviously at uni level so I was just kind of a very low level assistant for a week um, and the other one I did was actually at a Ms magazine. Okay. It was oh this my really, god I remember that. Dude, <laughs> it was really sort of to be honest poor copy of the bigger like glamour and sugar and so on and actually the insight I got from that week was they were sort of stealing things from other magazines but I did get to model for like a, a drug um, addicted um, teen article that I got to pose for so you know it was high point of your leave. career that is yeah all those three really contributed to my uh, career choices definitely
0: <laughs> so so when you left uni you've obviously done quite you know politics philosophy and economics whilst known for being the the degree at Oxford that churns out the powerhouses of government um you know you came out of that how did you go about on kind of going in, along your career path from there because you um had interned at the UN is that right
1: Yes yeah, so I actually obviously postponed the decision again by moving to Geneva in Switzerland and doing a masters <laughs> um which was in international relations so again politics law and economics um and with the intention of working at the UN so I did an internship at the United Nations Development Program and um several NGOs actually and I really enjoyed it but then as I was finishing my thesis for for the degree I wasn't actually getting any traction and um, you know we tend to be quite optimistic and naive maybe when we come out of school we think that everyone wants to hire us we're sort of the best gift to any organisation <laughs> even though we have no experience and as it turned out the UN maybe didn't agree with me um, and so I always say sort of 99% of the jobs I applied to were public sector charities and that kind of thing and then the, the 1% that actually gave me a job was private sector so um, I took a job at Procter & Gamble.
0: It's notoriously difficult to break into the public sector humanitarian type work isn't it and you kind of think if you've done the education that you've got and got the skills that you've got at your age And you're being rejected from almost everything you applied for with that is, you know, what hope is there for other people? It's kind of it seems so difficult to break into those spheres. Yeah.
1: And there's a couple of things there. I mean, when I did my degree, I sort of with hindsight realized that it was the wrong time for me. Because first of all, Oxford is amazing in the sense that we had one to two people per incredible thought leader, professor, you know, leader in their field. Um, And usually your undergraduate is sort of big lectures and your postgrad is smaller seminars. And in this case, I'd had that incredible experience at Oxford. And then actually the master's was bigger classes. So it was almost a step back, unfortunately. But the main thing was that most of the people in my class had been working in Kosovo for 10 years or whatever. So they were really sort of (laughs) applying the theory to their real world experience. They're a little bit older than me, had had experience. I had none. Um, and I think that's it for the UN and so on. They they don't just want some person who studied a bit of politics and wants to help children in Africa. They want someone who actually, you know, is on the ground and so on. And it is so in demand. So definitely it's challenging. What I do, I mean, we'll get onto this, but what I do now in terms of coaching people into career transitions and things, um, what I see when people do succeed is that they are incredibly persistent and, and, you know, they, they don't give up. So I think if I had kept going and I'd kept taking, you know, more unpaid, unfortunately work experience, if I'd really cared about it, I would have eventually got there because I think in any career really persistence is what gets you there. But, um, I obviously was a bit half-hearted in my attempt, so I let myself get sucked into the private sector instead.
0: There is absolutely no shame in taking a job in the private sector at all. But I love what Anna says here about persistence. It's really hard as a young person, particularly if you've been in education for a while, you've got loans to pay back and you need an income, to keep plugging away at a dream that seems out of reach, whether that's working at the UN or in some other humanitarian field or something else entirely. Anna mentions it here, but sometimes taking a job that you think you don't really want initially can be helpful to learn skills, save some money and focus on how you can get where you really want to be. Anna started in digital marketing with P&G at a time when no one had really heard of it and it wasn't a big field. I asked her how she got started in such a new area and how was it being somewhat of a trailblazer in the mid-noughties.
1: Yeah, it was very organic. I mean, first of all, the reason why I applied to that job in the first place was the internship at the UN had been in sort of the communications department. So I thought, okay, if I can't go straight to the public sector, maybe I go to the private sector, get lots of experience and then come back. And I did kind of, again, half-heartedly apply to some UN jobs while I was there. Um But it was, uh, they bring you in at what's called your assistant brand manager in marketing. Um, And I was initially in sort of a product design role on perfume. So very far away from the United Nations world. (laughs) Um, Then moved to more of a commercial operations role. um, And then, funnily enough, was promoted to brand manager the next level and headed up the digital department. And the reason for that, I guess, was, as you said, it just wasn't very um known at the time. People senior and junior didn't really have the experience. So there weren't very many obvious candidates. And I had done both in the design role and then in the commercial role, I'd been sort of leading some, you know, very basic compared to now, very terrible websites and banner campaigns and things. But that was, I guess, enough to <laughs> recommend me to that position. But that was an incredible role because those two years, there was no obvious, you know, I had a boss, but she was actually a manager on another brand. Um so digital was a very small piece of what she did. It wasn't really her priority. Um, I was, you know, working directly with all the markets around the world, with the digital experts, with the high-level um, senior VPs and general managers and so on. And I basically got to create a team, create the strategy, create the training program and everything. So um, I was incredibly lucky to yeah, have that role for two years, like far beyond what I should have had probably at that level.
0: So anyone looking in from the outside it might have appeared that Anna had it all sorted. She'd been working with fashion brands such as Gucci, Hugo Boss and Puma, and massive global names like Pampers and Gillette. And was, by society's reckoning at least, doing really well. Great salary, great job. That's everyone's dream, right? It's so easy to look at other people's lives from the outside, though, and assume that they are perfect. But if there's one thing I've learned in life, it's never to assume anything about anyone p like a lot of other big companies, have a reputation as an excellent employer with really good graduate training programs and career progression. So I wondered to Anna whether this was actually true and what was it that made her think that this wasn't going to be her job for life? Was it a light bulb moment or a gradual realization that there might be something more out there for her?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, so many things to say about that. I guess the first point, just to pick up on what you said, yes, um, the company has always said, you know, people first, and that's been such a big part of it. And the first few years that were absolutely amazing and they invested in you and so on. I think a couple of things, unfortunately, um, you know, that has changed in the last years because of the economy and how things are going in the consumer goods industry. So that's one thing generally. Um, But the other thing specifically for me, because I was on this digital path a little bit outside of the organisation, I kind of slipped through the net, I think. So there was no obvious... There was no digital career path. They wanted me to go back to sort of, I think it was a pet care commercial role, which wasn't so sexy at the time. And I just thought I had um, such an edge now with those skills and that experience. And I'd had such autonomy and freedom that I couldn't really imagine going back to a normal business role. Plus, of course, there was the background that I had never wanted to be there in the first place. So I think it wasn't a light bulb moment. It was a gradual wearing down of me thinking, I never wanted to be here as much as I love it and the people and I've learned so much and everything. It just wasn't there was a disconnect between where I thought I should be um, and where I was. So that's sort of what happened, a slow rumbling of um, realising I didn't want to be there anymore.
0: One of the things we often talk about on this podcast is, you know, women who've done things that are a bit different or you've kind of forged a bit of a new path. Would you describe yourself as quite a kind of bold, creative person? You know, digital marketing was a bit of a new world at that time. Like, how did you find... How did you find your way through that?
1: Oh, um, I would never have described myself that way, definitely, in the past. I always was like the the conventional good girl. I did as I was told and followed sort of the the path you're supposed to follow. Um, I think, yes, I did rise to that. And I think looking back, I probably didn't have the confidence, maybe or at least the awareness that I had that confidence. But definitely, because I was, uh, you know, getting in touch with agencies and, as I said, working with lots of senior people and so on. Um, I think what gave me the confidence was that I was, Actually, the expert. Often I was the person who knew the most in the room. And that gave me the sort of um the boldness, I suppose, to drive knowing that, you know, even if a VP said something, he doesn't necessarily have the background experience on that at this stage. So then that gave me a lot of confidence, I think. Um since then, I have to say, since quitting, because I quit in 2013 without a plan I do I do think I'm quite bold and daring so (laughs) and I think things have shifted a bit there as well so that maybe helps me a little bit
0: and quitting without a plan that's that's a big step you know anyone who quits their job and doesn't have something else to go to it's a big move to to do that how was that received by your kind of friends and family did you get any criticism for leaping without something else to go to or was that something you kind of discussed a lot and was on the cards for a while
1: um yes and no so not really criticism but definitely concerns and definitely from parents and well-meaning friends and so on and um, I took it in two steps so I initially sort of at the end of that digital role as I said there wasn't an obvious next assignment for me so um I asked for a sabbatical um and I went traveling across South America by myself and that was also people said oh you're so brave and um going by yourself and I barely spoke Spanish but that sort of gave me the step out of my comfort zone I met so many people who were on completely different paths different backgrounds different plans and while I was away I sort of had the space both physically and mentally to really reimagine what I wanted to do I had all these ideas oh I can live on an island and write and I can start my business and all (laughs) these very um, unrealistic things but you know fun things Um, and halfway through that my boss contacted me and started talking about a new job and I just felt oh that's not at all what I want to do and I cried a lot. I talked to a lot of people. (laughs) Um, But for the first time, I think, in sort of my entire life, I think, certainly since I was little, I really listened to my heart. You know, we're all so rational, and I'm sure you are as well from the science background in terms of reasoning and pros and cons and all this. But at some point, I just realized I felt intuitively this is what I want to do, even though it doesn't make sense. And You know, just um, again now with sort of the filter of looking back on it, and I have to say, I was single. I had a cheap flat. You know, I didn't have a mortgage, a car, a dog, a boyfriend or anything. Um, I had a lot of savings thanks to my job. So I think, you know, with that, obviously, I had a good cushioning. And then I was very lucky that because of my network and my skill set, I did get work right away. But um, as you say, it's not. It's probably not something I'd recommend necessarily. But actually, I do see a lot of people and people I work with who do get to the point when either, unfortunately they're made redundant and then the choice is taken away from you or they do think I just cannot last another minute I've burned out or I don't you know I just don't agree with the values of this company anymore whatever it is Um, and there are things you can do to sort of manage that transition but but the more sensible way of course is to gradually build that so-called side hustle that's so fashionable now alongside a job and then transition once you already have some money coming in and clients. And so on. But um, I didn't do that. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, no, but I mean, it just kind of shows you that there's there's always several options of how you can go about things, and the path that one person takes is not necessarily the same or the right path, you know. And, and other people do it differently, and actually, you know, you're all driving towards the same endpoint of success and happiness, I suppose. So, how did you? So you've, you're you're in South America, and you're thinking. I'm going to quit my job. Like, how did you go about thinking about your next move and detailing what your next step would be when you got back?
1: I'm not sure if I did so much. Um, apart from general sort of brainstorming in my notebook and things, I did have. Funny enough, both during the sabbatical and when I came back, and I don't know how this happened because I hadn't updated my LinkedIn or said to anyone I was leaving, but I had some recruiters contact me about some jobs. There were some sort of head of digital marketing roles at you know, in, in the movie industry, in chocolate, in coffee, I think. And I thought, oh, wow, <laughs> I know they sound amazing. <laughs> and at the time I did think, well, maybe that's what I need. I just need to change company. I've been in this one for seven years, Um, different industry that I'm more excited about. And I thought that would be sufficient. Um, But then I also realized that that wasn't quite the reason why I left. And I think I had some idea that I wanted that more freedom and flexibility. Um, So actually one of those roles, I got down to the final two and I just thought, ah, I don't want to get this um so I decided to then officially incorporate my business um which at the time was digital marketing so I thought I would just sort of consult um using the skills and so on that I had from before so it was quite you know several steps you know it took about half a year if not longer in the meantime I enjoyed the freedom of spending money not really thinking about um earning money unfortunately
0: Anna had worked really hard for seven years and saved enough money to allow herself to go away and let her hair down, to take the time she needed to enjoy herself, to consider her options and to subsequently start a new digital marketing business. She told me it took six months to get her company incorporated and set to go, during which time she was living off her savings. We've talked before with Sarah Williams and Laura Bartlett about the financial implications of both starting a business and quitting your job without something else to go to. And it is a big deal. You shouldn't be scared away from it altogether. But if you're going to leap, and I wholeheartedly applaud you if you do, try to have a good think about what you're going to do financially first. Or at least give it a passing thought before you march into your boss's office and tell them that you're walking out that door never to be seen again. Start planning in advance if you can and put some money away if you're able. I've burned through my hard-earned savings on career breaks and trips of a lifetime more than once and would say that if you're serious about starting out on your own, unless you can guarantee that you'll have sufficient income coming in from the get-go that you're not going to starve, it's useful to have some sort of cushion. Anna and I picked up from when she was back from her travels with her shiny new digital marketing consultancy business ready to go. All she needed was some clients. So when you started consulting, you said that your your network allowed work to start flowing quite quickly. Uh, How did you adjust to kind of running your own business? Yeah, I think I was
1: lucky. I mean, I had some colleagues who were starting a little startup. So they immediately sort of got me to just do, you know, a little bit of work. And then a couple of other colleagues, you know, said, oh, I'm looking for someone to do this. Um, could you come in for a few weeks but often once you get in there you you know they obviously like having you hopefully if you're doing a good job and then actually I stayed on in one company I think for like nine months and um, but then I would travel in between them so I did have that kind of additional freedom between but it was still kind of a corporate Monday to Friday so in a way that during those two first two years it was more like contracting freelance consulting whatever you want to call it but it was almost like having a job I wasn't in any way doing a proactive marketing strategy to get clients you know um I, it was just I guess I had a website and I was sort of blogging about digital marketing but that wasn't how I was getting clients it was via word of mouth it was a sort of very small step I think out of what I'd been doing before because it was the same kind of work just you know the addition of actually making a proposal and and working with new managers really
0: yeah and I was going to pick up with you at some point um so it might it might as well be now um about the the ins and outs of of running a small business really because obviously when you work in a corporate environment you get your monthly paycheck thank you very much um and all of the sort of career support and that kind of thing comes comes with it how did you find adjusting to presumably working from home working alone the ins and outs of running a small business do you have any insight into that or did you make any big mistakes that you kind of thought oh crikey I wouldn't do that again.
1: Yeah, I mean, as it turns out, I'm incredibly self-motivated and a bit of a loner because I manage by myself. <laughs> <laughs> my boyfriend always says, I can't imagine, you know, he works in the middle of the city or um, Oxford Street kind of Soho and just, um, you know, constantly going out for drinks and, and team things and meetings and things. And I'm quite happy just working by myself oh my all God, day. me too. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it because I feel a bit bad sometimes. that There's something wrong with me. But I mean, we're lucky, I think, because there are some people who do feel lonely and, and maybe struggle to motivate yourself. But of course, there are ways to get over that. I think it's a shame when people give up on working for yourself just because of that, because you can go to co-working spaces and you can, you know, find other people to work with. I even do go to cafes and things, you know, and there's lots of ways you can deal with that. Um, I do just want to go back to the piece you said about the finances of working for yourself too, because as you say, that is the insecurity, which is the other side of the coin of the freedom with the salary. And I think you've got two extremes on social media of the story people tell. One is oh six figures I'm just standing here on the beach and like doing some videos and I earn lots of money and then the other extreme unfortunately is the struggling freelancer I can't charge enough I'm constantly living from project to project and working for yourself is terrible and I'm being you know it's, it's just the two ends of the spectrum and I think neither of those is needs to be true at least maybe there are some people doing the millionaire lifestyle on the beach and there are some people who are struggling but it doesn't have to be that way and I think the reality is somewhere in between so absolutely as you said I think people like me hopefully sharing the realities of what I'm working hard but I am also making money um and you know with the help of working with my own coach with um beginning to get a team now with learning new skills with you know whatever it is but it's possible it's hard work but it's but it's definitely possible so it's I think the biggest learning for me and in insight is patience because we think the results are going to come right away and i just keep telling my clients this that it's you know it takes so much longer than you think um and you know when i uh, initially put up a website with for my coaching business i thought Tada, i'm a coach <laughs> come on everybody buy my products, services and of course that doesn't happen because nobody cares that i've just decided i'm a coach and it takes a couple of years for people to read my articles to build my credibility in my brand and to get people sort of engaged and wanting to to work with me. So it's just, again, realistic expectations, I guess, and putting in the work and of course, earning money in the meantime, which is why consulting freelancing kind of projects part time can be a really good way to bring in the money while you're waiting for the business to build.
0: I have to say, I found that with the podcast because I was like, right, the podcast is out there thousands and thousands and thousands of people are going to start listening immediately. And of course you have to build. And I'm quite a, impatient person as well you know and you kind of think oh this should be done by now you know or I should be at this point by now and you think sometimes you just have to take the time be patient work hard and keep chipping away but it's amazing to hear that from just from someone else who says you know that's your profession to be like just wait a bit you know
1: but also you know I come from a branding marketing background so initially I I guess to explain a little bit so after those two years when I was doing the consulting I just felt like hang on this wasn't quite enough I'm still you know working overtime Monday to Friday tied to the client's office getting migraines and things that's not quite what I wanted so I kind of quit that started saying no to big projects and I went all nomadic and hippie as I like to call it because I sort of turned my back on my marketing experience and that's when I discovered coaching and so on but for a couple of years then as I was saying just now I just thought I guess I had too much. I went too much in the other direction of too much faith and money doesn't matter and so on. But I was spending my savings because I was traveling around living in Airbnbs. I wasn't going to cheap places. I was in like Hawaii and San Francisco and stupidly choosing those places in luxury hotels in Malaysia and things. So that was very naive, I think. And it's really come full circle to finally the last couple of years now that I've been able to once again look back, respect and leverage my marketing and business background, bring that in with the new elements of coaching, writing and all these things that I love and actually taking my business seriously. So even me from a branding marketing background, I made the mistake thinking like I don't need help from anyone and I can do this and I should be able to figure this out, but it's such a different thing to sell yourself, to market yourself and to run your own business than it is to be a full-time employee, whether you come from whether you're, you know, a designer or a veterinarian or a marketing manager or whatever
0: mm. and it, so when you were you were obviously doing your kind of digital consultancy um and then <laughs> once you were into your kind of hippie period as you put it um how did you then get into coaching and and leadership and and launch that business alongside because you're still running your digital consultancy business as well on the side are you? so you've actually got two businesses going at once yeah
1: and it's been an interesting one there was actually a third one too which was called wolf leaders academy which is also kind of ticking along as well a colleague and i from G wrote a book how to succeed in your first job and it was kind of intended to help new hires with all the stuff that it took us sort of 10 years to, to learn and i had those three projects the marketing consultancy the wolf leaders and then this sort of new um blossoming hopefully um coaching business and that was a massive struggle for me i couldn't understand how to reconcile them Um, And what I realized, especially with the sort of corporate leadership piece, was that it was, and and also the marketing consulting, to be honest, was still too much tied to the old world that I was trying to leave. It was still the corporate, big organizations, politics, and all that kind of thing. Um, So that was the struggle for me. And again, I see again and again with clients, we think that we should be doing that because that's where we have all the experience and so on. But there is a way to take and leverage the experience in the network without necessarily keeping the bits that we hate maybe. So, um, yeah, so I had those three projects. Now what I do in terms of the marketing consultancy, the website, to be honest, I don't really blog on it anymore. You know, I don't do any social media on it, but I do some projects um, with agencies and companies still that are much more now um, harmonious (laughs) with the um, coaching that I do in the sense of it's, you know, working more with startups and entrepreneurs. It's teaching. I do a lot of webinars and presenting and writing which are all the things i love to do so i've sort of found a way to and i still work in you know i'm um teaching things of like internet of things and artificial intelligence and all sorts of high tech stuff so really exciting to stay on top of those things and to work with other companies but in the meantime all the actual energy i'm putting into marketing and so on and building the business is on the coaching um but in terms of how i discovered coaching i have to say it was again very natural because i just I I literally have no idea how I found out about it, but um, (laughs) I became curious about it. I found a course and I did it more for my own personal development. I was in the middle of trying to explore my own values and career choices. So I found a course and thought that would be useful for me. Um, But I loved it so much. It was a two year course. I finished it in six months and then I had the website up, you know, the next day kind of thing. So it was just, you know, something I did for uh, I guess, intellectual interest, but actually then became a business strategy.
0: And had you had a coach had you been coached before that no so
1: at png and in corporations you don't you, you may have heard or i don't know if you've heard in your in your world but we had a grow coaching model it was quite sort of a common model and it's definitely something i guess executive coaching that kind of thing has been around for some time so we learned a little bit and then as managers we did go on coaching training to coach our reports so that was sort of familiar to me but when i was leaving the job i had no thought of hiring a career coach a business coach whatever it wasn't even on my radar i was just reading books and blogs and things and we had to do a certain number of hours of P&G coaching both to be coached and to coach and that then you know I came into it going I don't need coaching and I just thought like oh I'll just do some like get some help on this action plan that I have and she'll help me keep accountable on this and actually we got into um areas that I never thought you know we talked about relationships and bigger picture success and all those things and that experience I think really unlocked things for me and really made me realize how powerful it could be um When I initially left the program, I was continuing, you know, because we had that coaching network, we could work for free. We did a lot of that kind of peer coaching exchange. They called it Bart, that, you know, you can um, help my dog. I don't have a dog, but fine. But you can help my dog and I'll coach you on on your business or something like that kind of exchange. And that was one level of coaching. But obviously, we were all beginners. Um, I did then me to coach um at a conference in Greece funny enough and it just kind of there was something of what she was saying that resonated with me she just emanated this um confidence and I signed up to work with her for a few months and then the last I guess a year and a half now I found a business coach who's really now I'm really investing a lot of money and working with someone who's you know several years ahead of me um, I'm in her 12 month comprehensive intensive programme. Um, so now I take it very seriously. And I think both for my own development again and as a coach, I need to be a role model. If I'm not investing in a coach myself, why on earth should I expect someone else to invest in working with me?
0: That's really cool. And so your business now is called One Step Outside. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about um once you've done your course, how you came up with the concept and what exactly it is that you do, what do you offer? yeah I'd
1: love to so it comes from the quote everything you've ever wanted is one step outside of your comfort zone
0: um huh, great one yeah
1: <laughs> and, and I think so as part of the coaching program we actually were asked to develop um a coaching model and um a tool you know various like our own um, unique set of tools and, and models and things which I thought was great rather than just using those established ones so mine was all about going from comfort to growth um, and this idea of comfort zone so I think I and again I don't know how I got onto that but I think for me maybe I'd been feeling quite stuck and stagnant in the corporate world I hadn't been learning more and I'd been sort of very comfortable in my little bubble in Geneva Um as, as much as that was amazing and I had so many good friends that I miss so much now but um, you know it was very comfortable and yet I was missing the excitement and stimulation and reward that comes from challenging myself and being a little bit scared, yes, but, you know, also the excitement and so on that comes from getting out of comfort zone. So that was a really important piece for me personally and in the business. And the other bit I like is the one step. So, you know, we talked about taking the leap of faith of quitting your job, cold turkey. It doesn't have to be like that. And we can take little steps. I'm always about what's one thing you can do today to get out of inaction and to make a difference. So that's um, a long story around sort of where the concept came from um, and I now I mainly did um, individual coaching and I started very much with career coaching helping people transition out of their corporate jobs into um, whatever the next step was naturally because that's the journey I had and um, I actually last year published a book Leaving the Corporate 9 to 5 and um, stories from people who've done it and how you can too and that was a collection of 50 people um, who I'd interviewed who who made that transition So. And um, that was interesting in terms of it's classed into people who changed sectors, so as we were talking about at the beginning, um, created their own business, went freelance. And there's a whole chapter on people who just took a leap of faith as well, Interesting enough.
0: And how did you find the 50 that went in there for you? Because I'm quite interested when you mentioned that, I was quite interested how you found those people.
1: Yeah, to be honest, again, it was organic because um, I started out selfishly needing reassurance myself. So <laughs> I looked for people who could tell me it's going to be OK. And I started talking to people. I literally the first guy. Um, was a guitar player at a musical I went to see that I met like my friend was acting in it and I talked to him in the break or afterwards and he had quit his marketing to um, become a musician Um, so he was my first interview and then after that it's been basically friends or you know I'm in some adventure groups I did a lot of adventure when I first left my job Um, and now I also post in my groups and things to get people so it's actually a monthly blog series I do Um, And then the book um, is is a collection of the ones I had. I had 50 by then. So I thought it was a good one. Then I framed it with my own story and my own perspective as well. Um, That's where I sort of came from. And then in the last year or so, I've also launched, um, now launching a second group program as well to help people sort of in a group context, more on the also building the business piece. So I'm bringing in again more elements now of the branding and marketing piece to really help people because there's a there's one point that happens of actually quitting your job and deciding and choosing the idea and so on but as we talked about a moment ago it takes longer than we think and there's another phase which is okay i've got the basics i've made the decision but hang on how do i get this to a place i'm actually bringing in enough money clients and so on to be able to have this as a full-time um, revenue stream. So that's sort of where I'm shifting a little bit to now to help people actually, um, you know, not be that struggling freelance or whatever it might be and actually live the amazing life they want to while actually earning money.
0: And who do you, I think some people would listen and think, oh, a coach isn't for me. What sort of people come to you normally? And what would you say to people about who a coach is suitable for? And why might people want to think about having a coach?
1: Mm, The example that I like to give is often sort of the personal trainer piece. I think that's the most um, natural sort of comparison that people can uh, connect with, because I think we all know how to eat healthily. We know the principles. We need to eat less. We need to exercise more. And yet there's something that we don't do it. Um, And there are different levels. We can watch lots of free videos. um, We can go to the gym or ultimately we can work with a personal trainer or nutritionist who will sit down look at our specific goals look at where we are today how much do you want to lose how fit do you want to get what what exactly do you want to achieve with this program and have the accountability of oh I've got an appointment with a personal trainer whatever it is every week and someone's checking in on me so I think that's the hopefully a relatable example that people can see that yes you can get a lot of results working by yourself um, but it can be longer slower more frustrating You can make lots of mistakes and lose a lot of time and money from doing the wrong thing, specifically when it comes to business. Again, I came from a branding marketing background, so I thought I I could do it myself. But you just don't have the um, external perspective on yourself. Um, you know, I for a long time also worked with a friend, um, actually the girl I was talking about who we wrote the book together with. She's incredible at advising other people and me on businesses, she still needs someone else to come and go, hang on, you know, on her business as well. So we've sort of been helping each other out informally over the years too, because you just can't, as much as I can advise you on your business, you know, when it comes to mine, I'll get lost in the clouds of, oh, I want to do this and I'll do that and and so on and so um it's the external perspective on it. It's, you know, having the sounding board, accountability, someone who believes in you 100%. I can't overestimate how incredible that is to have that support system. Um, and then also specifically when it comes to business, you add in an aspect that's more consulting than coaching, really, in the sense of someone advising you. They've been there, they've done it, and they can help you focus on the right things. Um, so, in ter- you know, in terms of the people, not to be sort of too general, but really everybody As you said, can benefit from coaching in different areas. I worked with um, a meditation coach for a month at the end of last year because it's something I felt like I've wanted to pick up and I've just not quite, you know, I've tried and tried myself and I never quite get into the routine. So I worked with someone um, where we had weekly calls for a month and checked in every day to help me get set up in my meditation routine. So there can be, you know, there are relationship coaches, there are health coaches, there's all sorts of aspects. Um, But I guess what I'd say is try it. You know, most people have. Certainly like a free discovery call. That's probably not going to be enough. But, you know, I have three-month intro programs. You don't have to sign up right away to a one-year um, massive investment. You know, I think it's worth trying. Um, and in particular, finding someone that you resonate with. The good thing now is that there is so much free content. So I'm doing a challenge at my Facebook group at the moment. I'm showing up every night. People get to see me for sort of 45 minutes. They get to talk to me, get a feel for my personal style what I'm teaching, they can then decide, do I like her? Do I think what she's saying makes sense? Does she know what she's talking about before they even pay a penny? So I think that's a massive um, advantage now.
0: So if you think you might like a little help with your career, do have a look at Anna's website. She takes clients internationally, so it doesn't matter where you are in the world listening to this. As she said, you get a free initial 30 minutes to explore whether coaching is for you and whether Anna might be the right fit. I promise I'm not taking any commission on this plug. I just know how helpful I personally have found it having someone to be a sounding board for me. And if you're a person that needs incentive to achieve things, being accountable to somebody is a great driver on that front. I finished by asking Anna if she had any advice for listeners and also what was new for her in 2019? Oh, amazing. Well, I think um,
1: the bigger picture of my message, I guess, as much as I talk about, and you know, I've even written this book now, leaving the corporate nine to five, is not to force everyone to quit their jobs and to start a business necessarily. Um, I've actually just launched my podcast, which I'm sure hardly anyone is listening to at the moment, but I'm hoping will grow, but it's called Reimagining Success. And that's my big idea is, um, you know, you said at the beginning that we're all on the same track towards success and i think that's a bit dangerous in a way that that convey about that i was on of school university corporate job marriage house etc but in personal and professional areas um is very narrow and i wasn't sort of looking up and thinking hang on where am i heading is this where i want to go to is that going to be meaningful for me and I, meaningful for me and i think a lot of people i work with um at different ages but probably it happens around sort of your 30s 40s even the higher or younger if you're very um self-aware and you get that insight sooner than I did um, is that you wake up and you go hang on I've been told that I should be working towards all these ideals and I have the successful job now and I'm doing well and yet there's something missing um so the biggest advice I can give to people is try to get out of your comfort zone I guess you don't have to go to Bali for a year to find yourself it can be you know go for a run take a bath have a weekend off but try to spend some time journaling or reflecting on what do I really want? And it seems like such a basic question, but it's just the hardest piece. And I think it's the number one reason people don't get out of feeling stuck. We just don't know what we want to do instead. So, big picture, what is success for you? And that doesn't just mean promotions and salary increases and business or whatever, but it means family and health and um, ultra marathons and, um, you know, and whatever it might be, traveling and all these wonderful things we want to do in our lives. So, that's, I guess, my um, final message in terms of, you know, it's not about the path being that you have to stay in a corporate job or you have to leave the corporate job. The point is to make that decision intentionally. Um, so if that sounds interesting, then definitely do check out the Reimagining Success podcast. Hopefully that will, um, inspire and maybe prompt some um, new thoughts on, on what you might want to do next.
0: Absolutely. And where can people find you, Anna? You mentioned you've got a Facebook group. Um, what's your links, handles, et cetera, where people can find your work?
1: yeah thank you so the website the the brand is one step outside so one step outside.com is the website and um, there's a page on facebook and the group is a great place really i'm doing as i said a sort of a daily challenge there at the moment but there are weekly lives in there free trainings um, and so on so that's also one step outside on facebook
0: thanks so much to anna for joining me this week she is so insightful and has a lot of good advice If you're feeling a little stuck or frustrated with your career, then there is loads of good stuff out there to help you. I'll put some links on the show page, so have a look at the website for more info. Once again, we are at www.smashingtheceiling.com. As ever, if you've got any comments, suggestions, or feedback, then do drop me a line. I love to hear from you. Please subscribe if you haven't already, and feel free to leave a nice review on your favourite podcast site, as it helps others to find us. But more importantly, if you enjoyed it, spread the word, as word of mouth is still the most powerful form of advertising. You can follow us on Twitter, at Smashing Ceiling, and on Instagram, at Smashing The Ceiling, and we will hopefully see you next week.